Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 38 this morning. James Gordon Bennett was a wealthy newspaper publisher who founded the New York Herald in 1835. He had two lavish apartments in Paris and a French country estate, as well as a yacht that was harbored in various European, European ports from time to time. He had three houses in the United States that at one time, over a 10-year period, he never stayed in any of them. But each home required the same expectations. Each home always need to be prepared for Bennett's unexpected arrival. Each house was fully staffed, ready to serve Bennett, should he stride in the front door unannounced. The wine cellars were kept stocked, fires roared in the grates, and the sheets were turned down nightly. Jesus instructed his disciples on many occasions that one day he will return. And his main point each time is to be ready. And Luke chapter uh, 21, verses 5 through 38, is one of those occasions. Now, Matthew 24 and Mark 13 include some of this teaching, but Luke has a little bit different focus than uh, Matthew and Mark. And so uh, we're going to look at this extended passage, and um, it's going to be hard to break it up. You know, it's like we don't usually cover this many verses. It's, it's hard to break it up, and so I'm going to attempt to move through the passage quickly, focusing on the main points. And uh, I'm going to start with verses, beginning in verse 5, Luke chapter 21, verse 5, and let's read this together. I invite you to turn in the Bible or turn in your smartphone. Some of his disciples, verse 5, were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they ask, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you the words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. So that's just the early part of the passage. 
little context here. This is the last week of Jesus' life. We don't know which day, Wednesday, maybe Thursday. Um, Jesus has been teaching at the temple in Jerusalem with his disciples at his side. And verses 5 and 6 is the object lesson. Uh, so his disciples were remarking about how, how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. Now, a little quick background about the temple. In the first uh, several hundred years, there was no temple for the people of Israel. They had a tabernacle, a tent that they carried around and as God led them. And they were instructed to worship at the tabernacle. God put on David's heart to build a great temple for him, but he did not want David to build it. He wanted Solomon to build it and Solomon built a very great temple um, in the 10th century before Christ. In 586 B.C., that was tore down by the Babylonians, devastated. Fifty years later, plus, they begin again in Jerusalem to rebuild, this time a much smaller temple. And it underwent a lot of uh, destructive things. King Herod comes along, in 19 B.C. and begins to remodel that temple and to rebuild it and to add to it and to make, make it uh, splendorous. And he, so he begins in 19 B.C., but it's not going to be finished until 64 A.D., which is um, a good 50 years. Um, it's 68 years after Herod's death. And by the time of Jesus right now, this building has been in the remodeling process for 50 years, and it's really quite awesome by this time. So um, they're noticing how great the temple is, and Jesus said, as for what you see here, no matter how great it is now, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now, when he said these words, this would have been startling for the disciples and anybody else who could hear it. The temple in Jerusalem was the epitome of what Israel stood for. It was their monument to God. It was supposed to be a holy place, a place of worship. Its destruction would be devastating. Uh, so much time and effort went into building and maintaining the temple. Some of the stones were over 30 feet long and 8 feet high. So when you throw one of these stones over, this is a pretty significant thing. The question they ask, verse 7, Teacher, when are these things going to happen, and what will be the sign? Two questions, good questions. What will be the sign that these are about to take place? Jesus often answered a question with a question, but this time... He, adds it with extend, he answers with extended teaching. And he gives us a forecast in verses 18 through um, 19. Excuse me, verse 8 through 19. And here Jesus speaks of future events, things that will happen in the future. And some of those events we would call eschatological events, meaning they will happen at the end times. And that both of them are prophecy. Some will happen much sooner than some of the things that happen in the end times. So he says, uh, first of all, verse 8, 
uh, to watch out for false messiahs. Uh, watch out that you are not deceived. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. So expect that there's going to be great religious figures who are going to attract people to themselves. They're going to deceive people. They're even going to call themselves the Christ, the promised one. And Jesus said, um, do not follow them. Pay attention. It's going to happen. Watch out. Verses 9 and 10, he speaks of wars. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. Expect wars to increase. Now, when Jesus spoke this, these words, they were in the middle of what we call the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Hundreds of years where there was relatively, relative stability in the kind of the known world of the day because Rome, with its military, enforced a kind of peace with their authority. But Rome's going to be overthrown. Rome's going to be overrun. There are going to be other world rulers. If you know history, and there's a lot of things that happen in history, uh, think of the Holy Land in Israel and during the Crusades. It was crazy. And it was just, it was war, there was death. It wasn't reasonable, it wasn't spiritual, uh, but it was religious. And there, there are going to be wars and wars and wars, and we keep seeing them. Think what it would have been like to live in the United States uh, in World War I. I mean, it was a world war. Is this it? This is bad. Jesus talked about stuff like this. And then we got through it. And then there was peace. And then, you know, my parents' era, World War II, huge. The whole world's getting in this. And we hear about all these terrible things, millions and millions and millions of people executed. And we get past it. Yes, there's more wars. Korea, Vietnam, Iraq. Lots and lots of wars. Um, Jesus said these things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. There is a big clue. The end will not come right away. A lot of the followers of Christ thought Jesus was coming in the first century. It seemed that way. It seemed like the things that Jesus taught, that it would come, that the kingdom would come, that Jesus would return. But it hasn't happened yet. The end will not come right away. Expect more wars before the end times. Verse 11, earthquakes, famines, and pestilence. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, fearful events, great signs from heaven. Now, I think in my lifetime, some of it is reporting. Some of it is how much instant news we get. We can know everything that's happening in the world, especially major events. But it seems like there's been an increase of major events. Earthquakes, tsunamis that cause hundreds of thousands of lives. Uh, famines in Africa causing great loss of life. Pestilence, diseases that, that 
So we, we get a hold of them in, in um, like in America and in the West, and then they appear somewhere else, and then uh, some of them return to us. Um, one of the key things here, these are fearful events and great signs from heaven. Fearful. The whole world will be afraid. Not just some in a certain location. It, it, these will be signs from heaven. There is a stress on the created order. Uh, and it's going to increase before the return of Christ. Think about this. Creation itself is in distress. It is going to continue in distress until the return of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 21, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. When is that? It's when Jesus Christ is revealed when he returns from heaven. Creation is eager and longs for this revelation. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Next slide. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Part of the curse was on creation. And the, the creation is becoming more chaotic. And I expect it will become more chaotic as we get closer to the return of Jesus. And he will come and he will establish a totally new world order. A, cre a newly created order. The creation itself will be free uh, from this curse. Verses 12 through 17, persecution of believers. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And, they, uh, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all, all on account of my name. I believe this prophecy applied directly to his disciples who were listening. Um, and Jesus... Uh, warned them of this in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Now we see part of this fulfilled in Acts 2 through 4, where the early disciples in Jerusalem were arrested. Um, Peter and John were arrested. And um, they were, they were uh, brought before um, um, religious authorities. They were put on trial. We see part of this in the life of Paul, because he appeared before governors and kings. And um, the important thing here is in verse 13, and he said, and so you will bear testimony to me. The purpose of these things is so that you will be a witness to what I have done in your life so that you can be a witness to the good news that Jesus Christ has come to this world to bring change and to bring forgiveness of sins. And he is willing to let his followers suffer 
and be the focus of hatred so that they can speak for God, speak for Jesus Christ. So that they can speak to show that God is worthy to know and to follow. Verse 14, but make up your minds, I'm telling you ahead of time, make up your minds not to worry beforehand how you will def- defend yourselves. And, you know, right away I can see some of us, I got to worry. And Jesus is saying, make up your mind. I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries um, will be able to resist or contradict. And we see this in Acts 7 in the life of Stephen when he's arrested and when um, he speaks for God and they stone him to death. And we see this in the life of the Apostle Paul as well when he speaks before governors and kings. And I think this is going to apply to end times as well. Um, verse 16, he said, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. Wow, who wants this kind of life, right? Would you take it for your Lord? Would you be willing if that's how he led, how he called um, and I think this is going to be clearly an end time event when the world system will be satanically controlled by a very powerful world ruler we call the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. Verses 18, and so there's this mixture of prophecy, things that are going to come in the near future, and then there's a there's a prophecy about the far, the distant future. Verses 18 through 19, preservation of life, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Now this is a hard passage because in verse 16, it just stated that some of them will be put to death. And now he's saying, not a hair on your head will perish. Now, some view this, well, it just means that Um, you're going to survive to eternity and through eternity and that, you know, there's going to be a resurrection and you're going to be restored in the eternal kingdom. And that that could be it, meaning, you know, you get new hair in the resurrection. But it may well refer to um, what Revelation 7 and Revelation 14 refer to is God is going to handpick 144,000 people of the Jewish nation to become evangelists. And they are going to live through some horrific times, but every one of them will live until Jesus returns in Revelation 19 and into Revelation 20. Verses uh, 20 through 24, the destruction of the temple. Verse 20, when you see... Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that this desolation is near. Now, I don't, I don't know what the disciples could imagine that Jerusalem uh, would be surrounded by armies. They already had the Romans there inside the city. Uh, when this would take place, and this is going to take place in 70 AD, so we have the hindsight of looking back. 
Some of the disciples will already be dead. This seems to have both a first century fulfillment, 70 AD, as well as an end time fulfillment. And the reason I say that is because of what Jesus said. And you will know that its desolation is near. I think that's a technical concept, desolation. In, when Jesus taught this in Matthew 24, 15, Luke just doesn't record it. Matthew did. He called it the abomination of desolation. And what we know from Daniel chapter 9, it's when this great world ruler, the Antichrist, goes into the temple in Jerusalem and proclaims himself to be God. It's the, abom- the greatest abomination of all time, the abomination of desolation. The temple will be totally desolated or desolate. And um, that's, a, that's what I think it makes it an end time. It happened in 70, 70 AD, um, not the desolation, but the destruction of Jerusalem and destruction of the temple. The days of punishment, verses 21 through 24, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. Jesus is saying this was written in the Old Testament by the prophets, that there would be a time of punishment for Israel. One of those passages is Hosea 9.7. Hosea said, The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this because your sins are so many and your hostility so great. The prophet is considered a fool. The inspired person, a maniac. The days of punishment are coming. There's a lot of Jewish people who did not want to hear that including the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Jesus is now referring to that in verse 22. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that's been written. When Titus, the Roman general, came into Jerusalem in 70 AD, he camped outside for months with his army. And he laid siege on the city. And after he was done, and the temple was tore down, stone upon stone, Josephus, the first century historian, records that over a million Jews were executed in Jerusalem. Some say that um, Josephus um, puffed up his numbers. Maybe he did. It's clear that there are hundreds of thousands of Jewish people died in Jerusalem. Verse 23, how dreadful it will be in those days for for pregnant women and nursing mothers because they are the most vulnerable. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. You see, these are the days of punishment. They will fall by the sword and be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Is that fair? Is God fair? This isn't in my notes. One day, 
God is going to judge the world, and it is going to be final. And there's going to be a tremendous billions of people will lose their lives. And there will be a final judgment, and billions and billions of people without Christ will be cast into the lake of fire. And this is just a picture. It's just a picture of what's coming. And the danger for us is just to be lackadaisical. Because Jesus has called his church to be in the business of life and death. Because it is real. It's not just about having a great nation or a great economy. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This is another technical concept, the time of the Gentiles, meaning when the Gentiles rule over Israel and Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, Israel doesn't really have any say. And it began in 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. And Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian or from Iraq. And they ruled Israel. Um, and this time is not going to be fulfilled until the end of the age when Jesus returns. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles. Right now, if you go to Jer Jerusalem, does Jerusalem, do the Israelis control Jerusalem? No, because the Dome of the Rock is where the temple used to be, and it is a Muslim. This, these, these are the nations, and the time of the Gentiles is not complete as of yet. Okay, return of Christ, verses 25 through 38. We have atmospheric disturbances in 25 and 26. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. These are general signs. They will be scary. It's, I think people on earth are going to be totally aware of how chaotic Creation is becoming. It's going to cause great fear on earth. And it will be worldwide. 26, people will faint from terror. Apprehensive is what is, what is apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaking. This is going to be like nothing before. You know, we keep looking for things. And it's good to look. We should watch out. Let's not make any predictions, because when this comes, uh, it's just going to be overwhelming, and it's going to be easier to see as you get close to the end. Revelation of Jesus, verse 20, 27, at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is right out of Daniel 7, verse uh, 13 and 14, and Daniel sees one like the Son of Man coming. And the ancient of days, the Father gives the Son a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It's an everlasting kingdom. And the Son receives the kingdom. 
This is what we see in Revelation 19. It's at the return of Jesus, and he comes and vanquishes all of his enemies uh, just before ushering in um, the new kingdom. Verse 28, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your hands because your redemption is drawing near. Now these words are for those who are alive during this generation. Which generation? The one at the end of the age. When these things begin to take place, stand up. Lift up your heads. Your redemption. Your total and complete redemption is soon. And when there is a resurrection, salvation will be total. Redemption will be complete. And then Jesus gives a short parable, 29 through 31, the parable of the fig tree. He told them this parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. This is just common sense. When you see buds on a tree, you know it's time for growing season. It's, it's going to be summer. Even so, verse 31, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. That's the point. Just like the fig tree, when these events happen, the kingdom is near. Verse 32 through 33, the trustworthiness of the message. Truly I tell you, verse 32, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until this generation, the one living, experiencing the signs of the time, heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. Jesus made these promises. We can count on his promises. Do you trust Jesus and the promises he's given? And I can, you know, I can confess, I don't know how these details are going to fit. I'm, I'm sharing my best perspective, and I think there's a lot of room for God to tweak these, and, and one day we'll see how this worked out. Oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. The disciples didn't understand all these things. We have more information than the disciples. The disciples didn't have the book of Revelation yet. They didn't have the rest of the New Testament yet. We do. Nothing in here speaks of the rapture. Is that because there was no rapture in the Bible? No. The Apostle Paul said, Behold, I tell you a mystery, something not yet revealed, something not revealed in the Old Testament something that the Apostle Paul brought clarity to. So I'm not addressing the rapture in any way, by the, by the way, just because of that. The warning, verses 34 through 38, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. This is for us. Be careful. Your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. Jesus would say, be careful, church, or your hearts will become lazy and sloppy, and there is a danger of getting weighed down by this life. 
by stress and distress and anxiety and self-medication. Your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life because of not taking Jesus seriously. I thought this was appropriate for Ephesians 5.18 where the Apostle Paul writes, says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's the answer. Be filled with the Spirit. That's what we need. We need to be controlled by the power of the Spirit walking into every day, whatever it brings. And uh, so I'm not... Uh, I know that there's probably a certain percentage that think nobody should ever uh, imbibe in alcohol. There's a certain percentage that are very comfortable with alcohol. That's not the issue here. The issue is not to be drunk. And the warning is that that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Jesus said, you might be surprised if you're not careful for it will come Verse 35, on those who live on the face of the whole earth. So be ready. The goal is not to survive. The goal is to take as many people with us as possible. The goal is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. We don't have to be fearful. What we need to do is follow Verse 36, be always on the watch and pray that you, will, that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen so that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus wants us to always be on watch, always be ready. Pray that we can honor God each day as if today might be the day. And then there is the end in mind that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. That's what this is about. Whatever you think about prophecy, one day you and I will stand before this one. Verse 37 says, Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend night on the hill called the Mount of Olives, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. This is the last week of Jesus' life. Right away, we're ending into the last 24-hour period of his life. Um, slightly more than 24, starting next Sunday. And um, he, just, this, he just went about his business. He was going to be crucified, and he's just teaching. He wants people to know the good news of the kingdom of God. There's going to be some bad things coming, but he wants him to know the good things. The end in mind, verse 36, that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, reminds us of this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is a judgment seat of Christ. It's for all believers. This is not, nobody's standing in this line. If there is a line, I don't know if there's a line. But the judgment seat of Christ is only for those people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. 
and we, we're all going to be accountable. It does make a difference. You don't just get a, f- a free pass. I mean, that's not what life is about. It's about living for Him. And you may have a free pass, but you may have some disappointment when you stand before Jesus. It does make a difference. There is another line, and it's called the Great White Throne in Revelation chapter 20, and it's for those people who never placed their faith in Christ, who never took Christ seriously. And there is no second chances. Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2, says this, Do not be conformed to this pattern of this world. I just think of the overall message of Luke 21 that Jesus would want for his followers. And it's to be, be careful, to be ready. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of God's work in you, by um, the renewing of your mind as it aligns with Scripture, as you walk in faith, as you seek to obey Jesus. Then you will be able to test and approve what God will, God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So, be careful how you live. It will make a difference. Don't be conformed by your environment, but be transformed by God. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. That's a fact. We have a lot of information about that. Over a million people lost their lives. This was a judgment of God, according to Jesus, and it's just a small picture of final judgment on earth. We have good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. That's good news. And he offers forgiveness of sins. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's it's an offer that he makes as a gift to us, and we are to receive it by faith. That's good news, and that's what we have to offer to our entire world. And this is why today we celebrate communion after 2,000 years, because the death of Jesus Christ is central for all of us who are Christ's followers. All of us are reminded to stop and think and reflect on our lives. Are we okay with God? Are we getting sloppy? Do we need to make alignments and adjustments to to come back into a path of walking with God? And that's for each of you to reflect and evaluate Today we celebrate communion and we give thanks for the bread and the cup because the bread represents the body of Jesus Christ and the cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. A body that was given for us, blood that was shed for us, that it was the price of our salvation and it's totally paid and we can't add a thing to it. The Apostle Paul says, Let a man or a woman examine themselves before they take part in this. And we just need to make sure that we, as Christ followers, are right with God, that our sins are confessed, 
1 John 1, 9 uh, reminds us that if we confess our sins, and this too is only for believers, this does not apply to a non-Christian. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. The condition is the if. If we do this, here's what we can count on. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and will forgive us our sins and purify us, and we can be totally clean. And God wants His church to be clean. God wants His church to walk out of here this morning totally clean. Fresh start, new day, new week. Let's pray. I'd like to ask those who are going to uh, prepare uh, communion and serve for us to please come at this time. And let's all bow in prayer. Father, we just want to take uh, time to reflect, to think about who you are, to be reminded about your great love for us and the sacrifice you gave. And your call to us to be ready. Your call to us not to be conformed by our world, but to be pliable in your hands so that we might be transformed and become more and more like Jesus. Father, if there are things in our lives that we need to confess, show us this morning. And may we be honest with you and confess our sin. And so, Father, I just give you thanks that you offer forgiveness to all those who have confessed sin this morning, that you have cleansed, that you've purified us from all unrighteousness, and we just say thank you. We give you praise. We remember your love and your sacrifice, and we thank you for the bread that pictures and reminds us of the body of Jesus Christ nailed to a cross and the blood that was shed and poured out on our behalf. We thank you that you accepted Jesus' death as full payment for our sin. We acknowledge that we don't deserve it. We are humbled before you. Thank you for the cup that represents his blood. May we seek to honor you with our lives. May we seek to be ready and to, le to live each day as if today might be the day. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So as we um, share in communion, um, if, you've, if this is your first time, uh, whenever you're ready, you can come forward. If you are a follower of Christ, we uh, invite you to join us. Uh, just come forward, and you can get the bread and the cup. You can return to your seat, and you can uh, take the bread and the cup whenever you are ready.